Before I begin, I'd just like to extend the congratulations to the two of you, Pastor Dave and Sarah. We're super excited uh, for the two of you, for the families as well. Uh, delighted to see how God has brought this together and is continuing to knit you together. So we pray God's blessing upon you and, of course, his protection as well as you uh, move towards marriage. So super excited for you guys. So as we turn to uh, Scripture and hear from his word today, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 2. Uh, we'll begin at verse 11 and, and walk through a portion of Scripture today. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to journey another step today with Moses and the Israelites uh, through the book of Exodus. To remind you up front that uh, what happens to Moses is going to be what happens to Israel. And so we're seeing in the first couple, two or three chapters, a preview of what life will be like for Israel. Moses is God's chosen instrument, his sojourning deliverer. Moses is given for the life of the world. Now, he is to be rejected by his people. He is to taste wilderness wandering for 40 years, and yet he matures, he grows, and is raised up to rescue God's bride. Remember, as what happens to Moses will happen to Israel. As the head goes, so goes the body. Today, we see God's deliverer endure a slave-like injustice. He is rejected by those he came to save, and then he lives a wilderness wandering. And in his sojourning, we begin to feel a sense of our own longing for home. We begin to see our own wayward wanderings, and we begin even more fully to embrace God's deliverance through His chosen deliverer. So we look to God's deliverer, who is Jesus Christ, today as we turn to Him now in prayer. Will you join with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Your Word, which is living and active. Open our ears and soften our hearts that we might receive that which you have for us in your grace, your mercy, and your love. Conform us uh, into the image of your dear Son, in whose name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. The book of Exodus is all about God taking his people from a place of slavery to freedom. He brings his people through wilderness in order to bring them home. At the end of chapter 2 in Exodus, we have a bit of a transition uh, where we're going from the life of Moses to seeing more how he fits into the life of Israel as a whole. Remember, God is going to take Israel from slavery to freedom, from wilderness to home. We fit into that same pattern. We are God's people, his sojourning saints, longing for home, longing for rest. Remember from chapter 1, the book of Exodus, it opens up with a king who has died. God's deliverer, Joseph at that time, he was long forgotten. And then his people are enslaved. And there's a child born who is crying, crying out. Verse 23 and following, we see Moses in exile. And it's foreshadowing God's deliverance of his people as we transition from Moses' life as an individual to his life in Israel. Verse 23 and following weren't read for you, so I'll read them briefly here. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and many people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew I read that because this is a bit of a transition in the book. 
but also because what we see is God's fourfold pattern in redemption here. And the pattern is true for us today in His Deliverer, Jesus Christ. The first thing we see is that God hears the cries of His people. He's listening intently to their cries, their prayer, in order to respond according to their need. Secondly, not only does God hear, but then it says God remembered His covenant. Now, I know what it is to forget. God doesn't know what it is to forget. So what is it about this remembering? It's a remembrance for God to act or to save in the way that He has previously done. That's why as we do the Lord's Supper together, we say, Jesus says, do this as my memorial. The act of partaking the bread and the cup are not a reminder that because God forgot that, he, that Jesus saved. It's, it's, it's a calling upon God in that moment, in that acting, to say, God, as you have saved us in the past, deliver us still today. God hears. He remembers. And it said God saw. God saw them. He saw their plight. Throughout the Bible, sight, the eyes, are the instrument of judgment, of evaluation. This phrase here means that God is discerning between good and evil. As God sees, He moves to act. And the last word of our passage there says that God knew. An intimacy that leads to intervention. This is the knowing of husband and wife. God is moved by His love for His people. The fourfold pattern of God's deliverance where He hears the cries of His people. He remembers His covenant promises to His people. He sees, discerns in order to know them, to lead them, to save them. God hears, remembers, sees, and knows us. And as it was for the Israelites as they cried out in slavery, so it is for us today. And like the Israelites, we don't see it often when we think we need it or would like it to come. And so we have to wait, as Israel did. We have to trust, as Israel sometimes did. We hide ourselves in our deliverer. And that remains God's pattern of deliverance today, freeing us from sin and its effects, the effects of our failures and unjust sufferings. God promises to deliver His people through His deliverer, who is Jesus Christ. This also sets up a pattern for salvation as well, though, because before deliverance, there's often oppression, which weighs heavy. There's often rejection. There's often Wilderness wandering, which is tasted by God's people. But first, before God's people, the body, taste any of this, though, the head of that body will experience it first. Let's turn our eyes to verse 11 in chapter 2. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him. In the sand. God is raising up a deliverer who is Moses, and this deliverer is acting to save God's people. Remember Moses' life, it really is one of sojourning, the entirety of it. Even these first 40 years in Egypt, what he was uh, a, a prince in the Egyptian palace, and he was also a Hebrew whose people were enslaved. And we see there he didn't really fit in with the Egyptian palace, but he didn't fit in with his own people either. So even at home, he did not fit in, but was a sojourner. And we see Moses acting to save by doing, what does he do? He strikes down God's enemy. 
The word strike is repeated throughout this passage. Deliverance for his people, God's people are at hand. In the way that God struck down the Egyptians, so with the plagues, that same verb is used here as Moses strikes down the Egyptian because they were striking or they were abusing his people, God's people as well. Though he is a prince in Egypt, Moses is now acting to deliver God's people Israel. Now, Moses' action here of killing this Egyptian, what does the Bible have to say about killing this Egyptian and then burying him? Well, we have to remember that soon God also kills many Egyptians and buries them in a sea. Many read and believe these actions of Moses here to be sinful, um, as if it's, it's, it's an outright cold-blooded murder, and understanding that he, God exiles him soon because of, uh, this was an act of rebellion. But look at or listen to what Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 about Moses' actions here. Stephen says this, When he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Stephen, the Bible is understanding Moses' actions as an act of salvation for God's people. Moses is acting here as God's deliverer, as he would 40 years later, again, in the house of Pharaoh. But at this point, God's people do not quite see it or understand it that way. Verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. God's deliverer is rejected by his own people. See, God's people are acting exactly the way that the Egyptians are acting, right? The Egyptian was, was striking the, the Hebrew, and here you've got Hebrew striking another Hebrew. They're conforming themselves more to the image of Egypt than to their own God. And, and when they ask the question, who made you prince and ruler over us? We could answer that a couple of ways. Well, one, he's a prince in Pharaoh's house. That carries some authority. But underneath of that authority is, of course, God orchestrating these events. But it seems neither in God's timing nor according to His people are they ready yet for the full deliverance of God through the hands of Moses. Moses is God's deliverer rejected by the people He came to save. And so Moses, fearing that his actions are made known and will bring vengeance on his own head, he flees. A sojourner in his own home now flees to sojourn in a foreign land. Verse, two, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Does this sound like a familiar storyline? God's people pursued by Egypt. Does that sound right in order to kill Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Pharaoh is once again pursuing God's son. Having failed to kill uh, Moses as a child, Pharaoh is now attempting to finish the job. Moses flees Egyptian persecution, and he enters the land of Midian, a Midian wilderness where he sojourns for 40 years. God's 
deliverer has no place to rest, no place to lay his head. The head, Moses, is rejected by the body, Israel, and he is pursued by God's enemies, a sickness wanting only to consume him. And Moses, therefore, flees to the wilderness in Midianite or Midian. Now, who are the Midianites? Right? They're introduced here. Flees to the Midianites. Who are these people? The book of Genesis tells us that Abraham had a son through his concubine Keturah, whose name is Midian, which means that the Midianites are family or related to all the rest of Abraham's offspring, including the Hebrews. But they remain outside of the seed line. Remember, God promised to deliver the world or to, to, to bear fruit in the world through his, uh, the offspring of Eve. The Midianites are related to Abraham's offspring, but they're not tied directly to this seed line. So when we meet the Midians, we can think that they're, they're people who know of God and worship God, but not in the way that Moses and the Hebrews would have done. When we meet the priest of Midian here in the next verse, we might do well to think of this guy similar to what we would find in Genesis 14 by a guy named Melchizedek, a, a priest who was a worshiper of God, serving God outside of God's chosen house, outside of God's chosen people, this priest of Midian serves God faithfully. And as we see throughout Israel's history, God's deliverer is rejected by His own people, but is received by the nations, by those outside of the covenant people. While God's deliverer is rejected by His chosen people, those outside, the nations, receive Him well. Think Jacob was rejected by his own people. Think Joseph, who was uh, sought to be killed by his own brothers. And now Moses. All are rejected by their own people, only to be received by those outside of God's covenant chosen people. Verse 16 and following. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. God, in this portion of Scripture, is remembering His covenant to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, right? Um, I like the end of verse 15. It just says, Moses had been in Midian for a number of years, and then he sat by a well. Okay, sure. Take a siesta. Just sit by a well. It indicates something, doesn't it? It pricks the ear of the reader. Why is a well mentioned here? That seems like a deep subject. No apology for that, by the way. That's fine. And we hear this, these verses and we think, wait, is this, is this Abraham's servant who has gone to a well looking for Rebekah? Is that who? No, this is somebody different. Maybe, oh, maybe it's Jacob. This is a story about Jacob where he goes to a well and he finds Rachel, right? Nope, this is different. You know, this could be Jesus when he goes to the well and, and he talks to the Samaritan woman and says, forsake these other husbands. Your true husband is here, the one who will redeem the world. No, this is not that one either. This is Moses at a well once again. And we see in verse 24, as I read earlier, that it says that God is remembering his covenant. And this remembrance, this, this, this well is not something that jogs God's memory. All of a sudden, wow, I could do this. It's the reality that God has acted in the past to deliver his people and to draw in the nations in this way, in this manner, through his deliverer, his redeemer. 
as he acted then at those wells, he's going to act here at this well. Moses is being raised up as a deliverer for both Jew and Gentile alike. The biblical scenes at the wells highlight God's commission to God's chosen people to be a light into the world. Those wells, what was happening every time in there, that, that, that those outside of God's covenant promises, they're brought into God's people, being a light into the world, being a salt that preserves. Moses ties this Midianite people into God's covenant people. We see him protecting the Midianites. We see him delivering the Midianites from evil, and he nourishes them with living water. Whether sojourning in wilderness or at home, God raises up his deliverer not only to save the lives of his chosen people, but he raises up a deliverer for the life of the world. And how will the world, how will we respond? Verse 18, when they, the daughters, uh, came home to their father Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. The image here is one of fellowshipping with God's deliverer. This is the hope for the Midianites, that they would unite themselves to God's deliverer, and through that, they would unite themselves to God. It seems that they were worshipers of God and yet remained outside God's covenant people of Israel through whom God was working to bless the entire world. And we're introduced here by name now to this priest of the Midianites. His name is Ruel, which means friend of God. Now, for you fantasy nerds out there, you know the name Ruel, don't you, from J.R. Ruel Tolkien, certainly. This Ruel, this priest, will give his daughter in marriage adopting Moses as his own son, much like Eli did to Samuel, then like Samuel did to David. Midianites are being here engrafted into the vine of Israel, God's chosen people. Moses delivered his daughters, and in response to God's salvation of his daughters at the well, this priest, Ruel, invites Moses to feast with them, to dwell in their midst, feasting its it's a sign of association, of acceptance, of taking pleasure in another, enjoying the presence of another. Moses was rejected by those he came to save, and yet those outside the fold received him well. And so Moses commits to sojourn among them. Verse 21, Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses marries one of the seven daughters, Zipporah, who gives birth to their first son named Gershom. A second son will soon be born, Eleazar. Now, we don't know how long Moses has been in exile when this takes place, when this, the Midian, amongst the Midianites when this child is born. But the detail about the son's name seems significant, it seems central to our passage, Gershom, sojourner, because Moses names him that because he's been sojourning basically his whole life. And again, remember, what happens to Moses will happen to Israel. The sojourn of Moses and Midian is recorded by Stephen, 
or he, 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 he talks about it lasting 40 years before Moses returns to Egypt in Pharaoh's house to deliver God's people. Israel will one day follow their head Moses and be cast out into the wilderness. They too will be delivered through a body of water. They too will sojourn in a foreign land. And their hope throughout all their sojourning was to bind themselves to God's deliverer. And this deliverer has sojourned before them. Forty years in a wilderness, anticipating Israel's own 40-year wandering in the wilderness. That is always the way of God's deliverance. Hold fast. Attach yourself to God's deliverer. He goes before you. Follow him. The story, of course, reminds us of a new and better Moses, right? I mean, aren't there parallels and shadows of, of Jesus' own story where Jesus himself was born under threat of a tyrant ruler? Jesus had to flee, flee the promised land to Egypt, and he returned only to be rejected by those he came to save. He was a sojourner of salvation, but he had no place to lay his head or to rest. He dwelt apart from his eternal home. He came to save and to marry the bride who together with him would bear fruit for the life of the world, that they would multiply the goodness of God in their midst and throughout the world. Jesus himself passed through waters of judgment, and we, his body, follow our head through our baptism and our life in him. We are a people sojourning in a wilderness of sin, and our only hope for freedom and to find home is to attach ourselves to our deliverer. See, God is taking his people from slavery to freedom. And what's interesting as we navigate the book of Exodus together is that the people that God frees spend the majority of their freed lives as sojourners in a strange land, longing for a final rest, a home, and peace. But often, they spend their time longing for life as slaves once again. So the first thing that we do well to remember regarding this story here is that we will at times long to return to our slavery and to sin. But that's why Paul writes to us today saying, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And it's not enough to continually throw off the yoke of sin. We are to take on Jesus' yoke. That's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, gentle and lowly. In him will we find rest. It's true. We've been bought with a price. We belong to Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. So Paul says, stand firm in Jesus Christ. Attach yourself. Hold fast to your deliverer. As sojourners, we are called to take dominion still. No, we don't live in the garden anymore. We are east of Eden, but we're called to take dominion still, to serve faithfully in the place God has us, and we see that from Moses, of course. There will be temptation for us all along the way to want home only as an escape from hardship, and who can blame us? Or because we're we discount the present as uh, we're merely passing through and giving no value to the here and the now, the present of space and time. But, but see, Moses gives himself to the, the Midianite people 
He weds their daughter, fights for their deliverance, tends their sheep faithfully. There's an element of our lives where we just have to trust that God has us right here where He wants us to serve Him and to give ourselves selflessly for His glory and for the good of others. No matter where we find ourselves this day, know that God is with us and for us, exhorting us to serve faithfully in the place He has us. And the thing about sojourning, if you can picture Moses' life, when he, when he leaves Midian, he's 80. And how many of those years that would he feel like they were wasted years? Haven't done what I've called to do. There's difficulties and there's barrenness in the wilderness and it tends to rob us of joy as we long for a harvest that is yet to come. Now, sometimes we're led into wilderness because we have rebelled and are requiring a severe mercy on God's behalf, but often it's simply part of God's mysterious way. And so, we do well to submit, to cry out, and to wait patiently for God's deliverance. We cry out for deliverance and the deliverance of others. We trust God's promises, the God who hears, the God who remembers, the God who sees, the God who knows, and we seek to bear fruit for His kingdom, remaining humble, willing to learn and to grow. And then, people of God, we press on as we cling, as we hold fast to our Deliverer, because He has sojourned before us. Our Deliverer has passed through the ultimate wilderness of death, and He's raised from the dead and ascended alive to His eternal throne. And as our head has gone before us, we will follow Him. His sojourning saints, holding fast our Deliverer as we await His warm homecoming welcome, saying, well done my good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of my rest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this word and for the example that Moses sets for us. And we do give you thanks that you have raised up a new and better Moses as well, a true and final deliverer <clears throat> who frees us from our slavery and bondage to sin frees us to serve and to worship you gladly all of our days. And I pray that you would conform us unto those ends through your, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.